Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast on a Monday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for uscfootball.com. If you have any questions for us, you can send them in. Email podcast at uscfootball.com or you can call or text. Our number is 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. Please subscribe uh, on iTunes or any of your podcasting apps. Our URL is itunes.com slash peristyle podcast, but we're on Google Play and Stitcher Radio and TuneIn Radio and Audio Boom and all those things. So uh, please subscribe. Tell your friends. Uh, you've been listening to the show. We're, we've been uh, getting great record numbers. We appreciate everyone taking some time out of your day to listen to our show. This is be our. It's Monday. But it's our third show of the week already. I did a reverse emergency podcast in the Phoenix airport about four in the morning. Uh, Harvey Hyde came on yesterday, and today, like I said, we're going to bring in Dan Weber. Welcome in, Dan. How are you? Hey, good. Uh, not you say that about your reverse emergency podcast at four in the morning. Shotgun and I could have done one on I-10 where we could have done a kind of a live Facebook. Now, obviously, there's probably nowhere you could transmit it unless you have a satellite phone, I guess, driving across the desert. But we could have done one of those on the way back, uh, now that I think about it. That, uh, would, yeah. morning. that would have been really good with uh, you guys chatting. Now, you, you want to be careful because you're driving and, uh, and podcasting. But I think we did – didn't we do that once and we tried to do that coming back from, like, the Pac-12 oh, uh, yeah. championship Actually, game. we did. Yeah. Well, the last time I, I I made that trip immediately after the game, I got about halfway back, and uh, the word started filtering out that a certain uh, head coach had been fired on the tarmac. Oh. And I remember pulling over onto the side of the road to try to figure out what could I what could I find out, and will I be able to post the story here and all that kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, that's. Uh, it's uh, uh, luckily it wasn't that kind of uh, excitement after the game uh, heading back to L.A. Uh, this was a little a little better outcome. Yeah, that was the Lane Kiffin episode four years ago. Then two years ago, USC gets an unexpected uh, blowout <laughs> win, and then Steve Sarkeesian implodes soon after that. Uh, we'll not, we'll see. We got Arizona coming to town next weekend, so that that could be. I guess it could get interesting, but seemed like a less eventful trip to the desert than some of the other ones yeah i mean uh i would say if you judge by the uh you know the p people uh more usc people than not thought the trojans were going to lose and 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 get battered you know uh so i'm thinking they were you know a typical pac-12 game who knows which team is going to show up in which which uniforms uh and uh and then you're always at Arizona State. They either show up in really ugly black uniforms, or really ugly maroon uniforms, or yellow, whatever. Just I feel sorry for Arizona State. They 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 have kind of no shot at coming up with a good look. But uh, but they did. I'm not sure. Did they even come out? I mean, they just uh, they they were never in the game. That was uh, 
That was strange. Uh, and then you think, wait a minute, they just beat Washington. They just, you know, beat Utah on the road. What the heck's going on here? And then you realize, wait, if you didn't realize it, the last play of the first half made you realize it. Uh-oh, it's the Pac-12, of course. Of course, this is what happens in the Pac-12. Stuff that doesn't happen anywhere else in America. It does happen in the Pac-12. Um, speaking of the Pac-12, I got some, uh, we got some, hold on. Breaking news. Uh, so, just got an email, Pac-12 Players of the Week. I uh, thought maybe a USC guy like a Yuchenin Wusu or a uh, Ronald Jones would get it, but Khalil Tate, <coughs> excuse me, Khalil Tate, Arizona's uh, um, quarterback, wins it again. So it's the first time in conference history uh, he won it four. You know, um, he was Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week four weeks in a row. So that's never happened before. And Harrison Phillips got, got it funny. from Stanford. <laughs> yeah, and Arizona's yeah. kicker got it for he had a 57-yard field goal. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, it's just amazing. Uh, I mean, I think he, I, you know, we would go out and watch him in the summer, watch him play seven on seven. Never did understand what is the position for him. Uh, Arizona didn't exactly know. I mean, he got to play against USC last year, but he shared the job with the uh, converted tight end. So Arizona didn't know what to do with him. The first part of this year, he wasn't their starting quarterback. So uh, nobody's known what to do with him until, well, let's, let's see. Maybe he'll start. we got nothing else going for us. And there he is, four straight weeks, uh, uh, you know, Pac-12 uh, Offensive Player of the Week. It's kind of like Christian Rector, who couldn't get on the field uh, for USC for the last year and a half and then uh, uh, gets on the field uh, and, and makes, uh, uh, I guess, the AP, midseason All-American, second team. It's just crazy stuff uh happens and more often than not it happens in the pac-12 yeah it certainly does so usc is going to play an opponent that's got the reigning pac-12 offensive player and special teams uh player of the week so uh it's certainly going to be a challenge before we jump into the questions dan i wanted to thank our trader joe's been a great sponsor for us for the last several months uh both dan and i love uh shopping at trader joe's it's their 50th anniversary this year, and like we talked about, I was lucky to uh, have a partnership with them and having a, an event over at USC um, at the new Trader Joe's location at the, U, the USC University Village. Um, I got I got some friends coming in town. It's homecoming this weekend, so if you want to do a little tailgating before homecoming, I suggest go over to the USC Village. Get there early. Go over to the Village. Go to Trader Joe's. Pick up all the stuff you need. Um, yeah, I got friends coming in from Louisiana. They're going to come check it out. And that, that's one of the things they wanted to do. So I totally I'm recommending that to you and anyone else out there. Um, great, great beer and wine selections, uh, lots of cheeses, stuff. If you want to just kind of finger foods or great snacks, um, if you want to have your tailgate, but they also have all of the uh, staples too, like, you know, eggs, milk, butter, bread, things like that too. But for especially for tailgating, so many cool stuff, uh, so many cool things at Trader Joe's. If you just have like a picnic basket, nothing, or if you have a, a grill, any kind of whatever you have there, they have food that can help complement your party and uh, and really make it a good one. So it's homecoming weekend, Dan. So it, definitely people should go over to Trader Joe's and check it out. Yeah, and they've got all day. Uh, another uh, uh, nice early uh, 7.45 start uh, that will uh, hit the East Coast at 10.45. So uh, uh, a good look for the Pac-12 once again. Uh, although there is good news this week. The Colorado game kicks off at 2 in the afternoon. So 
I guess that we could get hit by a blizzard, but at least it won't be a blizzard at night. Uh, so uh, uh, that's the really good news of the week from the Pac-12, that the USC-Colorado game is at 2 in the afternoon, and you can watch Ralphie run in the sun, and uh, life is good. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Yeah, the whole um, – so it's funny. USC fans can be very particular about homecoming because um, – they don't want a 12:30 game because there's no tailgating. Basically, it's really hard to tailgate. I mean, you, you got to get there super early, and the 7:45s are pretty late and stuff too. So I think people wanted it kind of like a four o'clock window, but probably I don't know. What do you think? Probably better the 7:45 than the 12:30. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Although it looks like we've finally uh, left summer behind. Uh, cross your fingers. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, we've had two of the I guess hottest three games in history at the Coliseum this year. So. Uh, yeah, we don't we don't need any more of those noon games, and 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 ideally, no more 7:45. But uh, it's a Pac-12, and they dominate late night television. Uh, so uh, uh, I guess there's nothing you can do about. It. So whenever you don't get one of those, like uh, at Colorado next week, uh, life is good. All right, let's um, let's see. We got well, we got a lot of questions again. We're gonna start with this voicemail question. This actually was sent in uh, from our buddy JD that. He sent it in before the game, but it was kind of a relevant um, topic. I wanted you to discuss it. Here you go, Dan. J.D. from D.C. Uh, Dan, I'm recording this on Friday before the ASU game, and while I'm anticipating a loss, regardless of the outcome, uh, I just couldn't not comment on the Kenny Bigelow, quote, transition. It was just so bizarre the way it occurred so nonchalantly and casually, and it was so accepted by the coaches, even the players and stuff. I mean, you know, I don't care how far buried he is in the depth chart. We're really hurting on the D-line, and with Rector out, he should have just announced yesterday, uh, I'm practicing today because obviously you may need me on Friday. It just suggests so much of what's lacking about the culture and the milieu and the awareness and the sense of urgency and commitment uh, and this entire program, you know, that's what's got to change. Well, I think, J.D., you, you might be some uh, assuming, uh, I'll play the part of the, of the lawyer here, uh, assuming some facts that aren't in evidence. And I, I just don't think, having talked to Kenny, I'm not sure we know exactly how this all went down in terms of, of Kenny and the coaches and, and the retirement and what have you. I just don't think uh, – I, I would tend to not be as judgmental about this having – and we're fairly close to the situation, and, and you don't feel like you, you know everything that's involved in how this decision was made. So – I would probably back off being really judgmental as to the, what this says about about the whole program. I just don't think we know enough. Uh, I really don't. I hate to say that, and I'm, it's not not certain that if we did know everything, we would we would you know tell you or whatever. And not to make this too you know conspiratorial or anything. I just think we don't know. And, and in the absence of knowing more. Uh, I, I would just not be—I would not be real judgmental here. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, I thought there was a chance of that happening, but uh, it did not. He was on there as a as a coach. Um, we got a, a, a voicemail from uh, Ray in SEC country. Unfortunately, Ray it was like over two minutes long, so please try to keep him like under a minute, and we'll read it. But the gist of his voicemail was he was uh, he was happy with the way that the team played. 
He said that he had new appreciation for Lane Kiffin, the way he handled some of the scholarship reductions, considering the defense played a lot better just getting a couple guys back in Port Augustine and Josh Fatu. But he likes the defense, and he thinks they, you know, it's not a popular opinion. He thinks that a lot of people don't like the defense, but he thinks they make life difficult on opposing teams. I think Ray is correct, and and I know coming from SEC country, you're going to look at it that way. Uh, It did matter to get uh, uh, Porter and and Josh back. It it really did. It it just made things look things look different. They they had a different feel about themselves, and and you saw some of those outside rushes when Porter was on one side, Chenna was on the other, and it was like let's meet at the quarterback. I thought the coaching was good. I thought they really did a good job. Uh, they did things like uh, uh, they determined really accurately where uh, Manny Wilkins liked to drop to, that it was kind of a, you know, nine yards deep. And, and you could see him beating, the, uh, beating guys on both sides and meeting at the quarterback. And you saw uh, you know, Rasheem with the, uh, you know, kind of a secondary pass rush. And, and, and at times he cleaned things up when they flushed uh, Wilkins. And then you saw Josh just, you know, hanging in there. And, you know, he, that, that accident was not easy on him. But uh, here are two guys that, that hadn't, uh, you know, hadn't really practiced. They went through the Thursday kind of a, uh, you know, light, uh, you know, some practice, some walkthrough kind of a thing. And, uh, and said, we're, you know, got cleared by the doctors and they were out there. And they were out there, you know, early, at, you know, some crunch time plays. And uh, I thought that did wonders to the defense. And uh, I thought they didn't feel sorry for themselves that Iman Marshall was out. And you talked to him afterwards and, uh, with Isaiah Langley in there, and they said, no difference. We weren't going to let it make any difference at all. And uh, I thought the tackling uh, had improved terrifically. And a lot of that was they were in the right place at the right time and in the right frame of mind. And uh, uh, it was just hard to describe talking to Ryan uh, earlier, and we were saying about what the difference was between the team that showed up at Notre Dame and the team that showed up in Tempe. And, you know, if you would put a point number on it, I don't know, were they 50 points, 75 points better in Tempe than they were at Notre Dame? Uh, it's just amazing uh, that, that you can have you know, that kind of a variance from, you know, week to week. But, uh, but I think the defense is a big part of it. They were solid and uh, – he had a real good idea of what they could do against Arizona State. Now, Arizona State's not a great offense, and they didn't have Keenan Balazs to run the ball, and uh, they just didn't let him do almost anything. And, uh, and Jack Jones did a great job matching up with uh, 6'4", Keel Harry. And, uh, but I think the rush and the aggressiveness and the uh, getting uh, – uh, Manny Wilkins moving around and being in places where he wasn't comfortable uh, meant a lot. And uh, one would hope that that's a sign of things to come. Yeah, certainly uh, was a positive, a lot more positive. So, um, all right, well, let's move on. We got Eddie and Whittier who um, said hi to me. He was at the game and uh, waved to me, called down to me. I got to talk to him briefly uh, from he was up in the stands after the game. He said, two questions for you and Dan. Um, Dan, do you, uh, what do you think practice will look like this week, as in physicality and mentally? Are the players going to be prepared knowing uh, that this week is another huge week? It really sucks. Uh, but to our luck, every week is big and you can't uh, – um, sorry. 
can't affect the Pac-12. We ever catch a break. Hope the players are not hungover. The ASU win. Maybe he was a little hungover when he was typing this. Um, Eddie, we got a little clear here. And he said, second, what in the world is going on with Jamel Cook? I smell transfer happening with such a high ceiling. I can't believe it. Thanks for the hard work and fight on, Eddie and Whittier. Yeah, well, I, I don't smell, from what I understand, I do not smell transfer coming. Uh, uh, and I was glad to see Jamel get out there. He was in the middle of the pick six at the end. Uh, I know they have high hopes for him. I know he has high hopes for himself. I know he blames himself for kind of where he is right now. Uh, but uh, but I would. I, that's another place I wouldn't. I would not go uh, at this point. Uh, as far as this week in practice, the key is making it physical without pounding. At this time of year, you do not want to pound on one another necessarily. But you have to play physical. And that's the secret, you know, that separates the great coaches. Uh, and I thought it was interesting. I was listening uh, on, the, on the early morning way back. Uh, they already have a Chargers pregame show, which is amazing. Who knew they came on that? I know they were playing in New England, and who knew they, they came on that early? And so I'm listening, and they're interviewing Drew Bledsoe, former uh, Washington State guy, Chargers, I mean, a quarterback he played with the distinction of having played for uh, uh, Pete Carroll, Bill Parcells, and Bill Belichick, three Hall of Fame Super Bowl winning coaches. And he said they're as different as they can possibly be, personality-wise, just completely different people. However, he said two things made them the same in practice. Uh, Attention to detail and physicality. That, that, and, and it's clear, Clay is a, an attention-to-detail guy in practice. And I think the, the key issue is getting that physicality to where you need it to be without pounding on guys. Uh, certainly looks like they got it right last week, or the kids responded in a way that it didn't matter what they did in practice. They were, you know, they were up to speed physically uh, for Saturday night. And uh, I think... That's the challenge, and we shall see. You don't want to give them a message that it's not about being physical, or as Ryan found out last week when he interviewed the kids, that they, you know, they look and see it's just going to be, uh, uh, you know, not full pads, and it's whoop-de-doo. Uh, this is going to be great. We're, we can go out there and play, uh, you know, touch football. Uh, so that's the that's the line they've got to they've got to go through this week. I think it helps this week that uh, Khalil Tate. As fast as he is, he's, you know, they list him. Now, whether he's really this tall or not, they list him at 6'2", 215. I don't think he's 6'2". He might be 215. But you better put uh, a hat on him, and I know that's uh, not always the right way in this you know, age of uh, you know, being concussion conscious. But uh, you've got to get in front of him. You can't tackle him with your arms. You can't fingernail tackle him. Uh, you can't grab him by the foot and hope he falls down because he's not. Uh, so I think their focus, after they watch some Arizona highlights, and there are a ton of them, uh, they know they better intersect with Khalil Tate, and they better get their angles down, their tackling angles, their pursuit angles, all of that has to be exactly right. So I, I think you'll see that kind of focus in practice this week. Yeah, we'll see. We'll be out there uh, tomorrow 
Stephen Poway says, do you know how many previously injured USC players returned to full speed this past week in Tempe? It seemed like the return of Gustin Fatu and even Michael Pittman and Daniel Metrobebe made a difference, albeit against a much weaker opponent than Notre Dame. It was also very sad to watch uh, Malapai and uh, Toland go down with injuries in garbage time. He said, P.S., I thought we had a great game overall, but why was it Jenny Harris back there on putt returns? I thought Jack Jones had done more to solidify his spot, notwithstanding the fumble. Well, that's a good question. That's the one question that didn't get asked after the game or uh, in the Sunday conference call. Uh, It'll be one of the early questions asked after practice Tuesday, I'll guarantee you. Uh, You're right. Did not get... Uh, you know, good answer. Was it just the fact that they wanted him to totally concentrate on uh, shutting down the Keel Harry? Uh, that's a possibility. I don't know. Uh, it's almost sometimes not exactly fair to put uh, a Jenny back there. I, I'm not. There are times you watch it and you wonder does he have a Kevon Seymour problem? If you remember, uh, Kevon didn't get his eyes tested until he got to the NFL and they realized that he badly needed, uh, you know, corrective lenses. Uh, and there are times that you just wonder, is, is a Jenny seeing the ball uh, really well? I mean, he did a better job, I thought. But, um, uh, it, you know, it, it's a problem, uh, I think. And I'm, I'm not sure. I'm trying to remember what was the other question, Ryan. Oh, um, so let's see. The, how many players, previous players oh, came I, back players injured. coming back. Yeah. You know, what else uh, uh, they're excited about is Clay announced today that Vivai – uh, his MRI uh, was not, uh, uh, he does not have a problem with the MRI. The MRI came back negative. And so they moved him up to day-to-day. Now, I watched him walk by after the game uh, Saturday. He didn't have anything on his knee, didn't have any wrap on it or whatever. So that was hopeful to some extent. It looked painful. Uh, I'm guessing they haven't said exactly, I'm guessing a knee sprain. I, I guess there's always a possibility it was a contusion and it's just a bruise that's painful as heck. But uh, uh, pain tolerance will be uh, probably the key this week uh, in terms of can he, uh, you know, can he run on it? I mean, and, and how much, how much pain is that? And how, how, you know, you know, does he have swelling in there? And, uh, and that kind of thing. But they also said they're very encouraged that Stephen Carr will be back. Uh, so, yeah, you might get two more guys. Uh, back, although I was back Saturday and then he wasn't. Uh, but uh, but this looks like a time of year where you are getting guys healthy, and they keep saying that Daniel is getting closer and closer and that they're putting in plays for him, uh, and they're conscious of all the things that Daniel Baby can do. And um, I guess one of the touchdown plays that Deontay caught, I guess the second one, was actually a play for Daniel where they were running Deontay, I guess, behind him as a sort of the second possibility, but uh, but the ball was actually going to be thrown to Daniel, and uh, and Sam just was able to make an absolutely great throw to Deontay, uh, not uh, not dissimilar to the Penn State throw, and just threw it through everybody uh, and didn't have a problem. But uh, but they're putting in special plays for for Daniel. So uh, it looks like they really do feel he's back. Let's go to Rich uh, from Maryland. He said, they should change the name of Pac-12 After Dark to Pac-12 After Midnight. I believe the Arizona game will be our third game that will conclude around 2 a.m. on Sunday for us loyal USC fans in the East. 
Doesn't USC care about their alumni and fans? Uh, the way things are playing out, the last two games could start at 10.45 p.m. also. Hopefully they do not attempt to play a night game in Colorado during November. Uh, we, we know that's not the case now. I guess the good news is it's not happening on a short week again. Rich in Maryland. Yeah, uh, I think there's a place where the Pac-12 has to get together uh, with Larry, Scott, and the networks and say, look, you may give us a few dollars more to play these 1045 games. Uh, we're going to play them only rarely. We're just not doing this. Uh, it's not fair. But they admitted, for example, two years ago they cost Christian McCaffrey the, uh, the Heisman Trophy, and there's no question. They did. Uh, and if this year uh, you can say uh, people who are making the decisions on the, on the playoffs and all that say, look, we don't know enough about, about you guys and the games we did see didn't look that great. Uh, I think the Pac-12, for whatever extra dollars they get from the TV contracts that allow them to be, yeah, for the TV people, it's the best game they can put by far at late at night. So they're, they're thrilled that they can get a Power 5 conference giving them good games for Friday night, Thursday night, uh, late night Saturday. And you talk to the Pac-12 people, and they, they say, well, you know, it's basically we're beggars, and we can't be choosy. We just got to take whatever table scraps they throw to us. Uh, that's kind of the answer. And it's, it, it follows up on, well, we don't make any money at all from our own network, so we got to chase the dollars wherever those dollars are. Uh, but that's not a position the Pac-12 should be in, and um, they need better leadership, obviously. They need more, uh, I think, the more administrations around the Pac-12 have to stand up. Uh, for the first time this year we heard – from the uh, conference president, the president of Washington State, who finally said how bad a deal this TV thing is turning out and how unhappy they are and how they've got to do something. Well, this is how many years we've been saying this. And finally, you know, the people whose job it is to raise the money and pay the money and do all that, they have to make it clear this is not acceptable. And uh, for too long, I think, Pac-12 administrations have just been willing to you need to go along with it. Now, for example, Washington State lost their athletic director a couple of weeks ago. He just left and went to Nebraska and told them he was leaving in a tweet and said, goodbye, I'm out of here, see ya. And uh, I think it's starting to hurt when guys can go to much weaker programs in the Big Ten, for example, and they take in $20 million a year to start more than the Pac-12 just from the TV contract. Uh, that, that has to change. And uh, nobody in the Pac-12 seems to have a good idea as to how to make that happen. But at least they ought to start talking about it. And that they're not talking about it, you guys are talking about it, we're talking about it, they got to start talking about it. And they got to do something about it. And this is unacceptable. Yeah, I agree 100%. I don't know if anything will change, though. Um, Mike says, almost every game we hear comments about Darnold throwing high and generally not as accurate as last year in July. There were several media reports about Sam working with the quarterback coach Jordan Palmer to improve his throwing mechanics. I would like to hear your comment regarding a connection. Is Darnold thinking too much about his mechanics? Is he trying too hard to get it quote-unquote right, like overthinking a golf swing? Also, did Sam injure his finger during the game on Saturday? From Mike. Huh. I don't know about the finger injury. Uh, he 
standing next to him didn't seem to have any you know, issue with it, didn't see anything on any of his fingers. So, you know, I know there are times you can see him working with his fingers like he's a, you know, a baseball pitcher and kind of, but, uh, but I don't, I don't think so, but we'll check it out Tuesday for sure. Uh, as far as the mechanics thing, I think that story was really overblown. I mean, I think all they wanted to do was to make sure he didn't drop the ball below his belt when he didn't have to, uh, or whatever, no reason to do it. He just did it because he was athletic enough and quick enough with his release to be able to do that. He could do that and still readjust uh, on the run or not and, uh, and drill the target. Uh, he hasn't been as accurate this year. Uh, and I, I don't think we absolutely can say for sure uh, what it is. They did admit that uh, had had a, a, a lingering ankle injury since, uh, since Washington State, but it, it seemed like there were issues before that. Uh, you know, I, my personal feeling has been that there's been some kind of a physical uh, issue that's affected his mechanics a little bit, throwing on the run. Uh, even, you know, uh, he threw some great passes at, Washington, or at Arizona State. But there were times where he'd miss, you know, a seven-yard, eight-yard uh, slant uh, for somebody who all you got to do is hit him in the hands of the numbers and, and it's a first down and the ball would be behind him. Uh, we've seen more of that this year. I don't know what to, to what we would attribute that. I, I, I really don't think we've got a good answer uh, I did talk to Sam about the fact that at times when he scrambles, and it certainly didn't seem to be the case at Arizona State with the 39-yard run that uh, you know where he read the uh, read, read RPO perfectly uh, and uh, and took off with the ball. Uh, but uh, but there are times I said you seem to be getting taken down more this year by people like just grabbing your your heel or your foot or your ankle. And he said, yeah, maybe, yeah, I guess. He did not disagree. He said, okay, yeah, I am. So what do you think that is? And he said, <laughs> with this grin on his face, he said, uh, coincidence, <laughs> just coincidence. <laughs> and I was like, okay, coincidence. I mean, in a way, it was a kind of a good disarming answer. It isn't the answer, obviously, but that was the best he could come up with because he isn't. I mean, last year, nobody brought him down from behind. You know, when he, when he broke the pocket, he didn't get caught. The first guy to him never tackled him. Uh, that was one of the most amazing things that he went pretty much the whole year. And uh, whoever was the first rush guy never tackled him. He, he avoided that guy every single time. And once he got scrambling, he never got caught from behind. I mean, and that's what, I always would compare him. Carson Palmer never did either, <clears throat> which was the amazing thing. People have always forgotten how great an athlete Carson Palmer was. But that was the one way you would characterize him is he never got caught from behind. And I didn't look as fast as he was. He was way faster, uh, way more athletic than, uh, than he looked like. But so was Sam. And uh, maybe not quite so much this year so. Uh, does that play into the, does there, is there a change in his mechanics a little bit? I think yes. I don't think it's the, you know, dropping the ball below his waist and the thing they were working on in the summer. I don't think that has anything to do with it. But, but I think there are some mechanical issues 
but I don't think we know exactly uh, the cause of those. All right, before we keep uh, keep rolling, we've got a lot more questions. I wanted to thank our sponsor for the this segment of the podcast, Zip Recruiter. So if you are in need of great talent for your business, but you don't have a lot of time, you don't have to get lost in a huge stack of resumes to find your perfect hire. You just need the right tools. You need smarter tools. So with Zip Recruiter, you can post your job over on over 100 websites, leading job boards with just one click. So you can rest easy knowing your job is being sent to the right candidates. Then ZipRecruiter will put a smart matching technology to work, actively notifying qualified candidates about your job within minutes of posting so you'll receive the best possible matches. And that's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other hiring sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on the right candidates finding you. It finds them. So no wonder 80% of employees who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. It's definitely the smartest way to hire ZipRecruiter. So what we're going to find out today, ZipRecruiter, uh, they've been used to grow businesses of all sizes and industries to fit the, find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. So right now, any listeners to the Peristyle podcast can post a job on ZipRecruiter for free. So that's right, for free. You go to ZipRecruiter.com slash style. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash style. One more time for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash style and that's be that's from the peristyle so that was a zip recruiter's idea but ziprecruiter.com slash style if you need to hire someone dad i don't know if you're hiring anyone but if you do zip recruiter will help you out i tell you what uh, zip recruiter is everywhere i mean they are doing a heck of a job getting the word out because uh i'm a big radio guy if you live in la and you do a lot of, a lot of traveling around you're going to be a radio guy and you certainly are aware of, uh, of Zip Recruiter, the official recruiter for, uh, for USC, uh, as they advertise. Now, I won't say that they're also the official recruiter for UCLA, but I think they are too. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about that, but they probably are. Yeah, I've heard them a lot, so uh, pretty cool. All right. Well, let's kind of let's roll on. Wanted to keep going with the questions. We have Rex in Georgia. He said, with all the Hail Marys that USC have seen, why do we not have Tyler Vaughns and some big receivers drop back uh, to go get the ball and put pressure on a quarterback to keep them from passing? That could have been a huge swing for ASU. Also, Jamel Cook deflected that pass for Ross to get the interception and resulting TD. Rex in Georgia. Yeah, Rex. uh, I guess one of the reasons you might not put an offensive player back there is they may try to catch the ball. Which, of course, USC's defensive players have tried to do the couple of times it's happened. And you think you'd have the defense, maybe you should put some volleyball players back there and just, you know, bring them just for the Hail Mary situation, send them out there and, and tell them to spike the, you know, football. Uh, because that play only works if you keep the ball alive uh, instead of batting it into the ground. And I think. USC, unfortunately, tried to keep the ball alive. They also, and you talk to guys and they say, well, my job was to not let anybody get behind me. Okay, you're at the goal line or inside the end zone. There's not so much room to get behind. The worry is there's no one standing in front of the receiver. That's the worry. That's what happened the last two times uh, Arizona State did it, is, okay, you've got everybody behind them, that's fine. That doesn't prevent the ball to get to the guy who is trying to catch it for a touchdown. And if he's in the end zone, 
that's a problem. So, uh, as much as they uh, they work on it on Thursday when we're not there, so we don't exactly see what they do. They swear they work on it, but uh, it didn't look like the plan was was all that good a one. Uh, if you're gonna now, I, I will say this: Chris Hawkins said his job was not to let let anybody get behind him. He, they didn't, but if you ca- if they catch it in front of you, and Chris immediately pushed the guy, tried to push him out of the end zone, uh, but it is is a tough deal if there's nobody in front of the guy. Uh, that seems to be kind of a flaw in the plan uh, because he doesn't need to catch it and go anywhere. He catches it, it's a touchdown, uh, which he probably did, although no one in the Pac-12 knows for sure. Uh, I'd love to get a chance to interview the guy in the replay booth to say, okay, he might have been in. He probably was in. I don't know. But how could you overturn it? Did you have a, a camera view that everybody else didn't have? Did you have somebody on the goal line uh, sending you back a, a view that no one else saw? Because the officials on the ground were telling the USC players they didn't think it was a touchdown. Referee said he didn't think it was. He didn't call it. He said, you know, it wasn't my call. They overruled me. What did you have? Other than, okay, I think he was in the end zone. It looks like he might have been in the end zone. It looks like he might have had control of the ball before he got pushed out. But really, I'm sorry. That's one of those plays where they wrote the rule so that if you didn't have indisputable evidence, you can't overturn it. And if all the guys on the field didn't call it a touchdown and you didn't have indisputable evidence, you can't call it a touchdown. But as we do every week, uh, the Pac-12 embarrasses itself again with both teams off the field. Uh, I guess Clay Helton may have been the only person left from either team on the field. <laughs> uh, you've got a locker room that's a block and a half from the field for USC. Of course, Arizona State is right there. But USC like a block and a half. So... And all of a sudden, by the time they go get them, here comes USC out of the other tunnel, the nearer tunnel, the tunnel that's easier to get to the field, which USC and the media, of course, after the game, were told, you can't go through that tunnel. No, that makes too much sense. That's the one that goes directly to the field from the locker room. No, you've got to go to the other tunnel on the other side and take a longer walk around the football, uh, new football facility. So at least the only good thing was USC said to hell with this because the guards, I guess, were telling them, you can't go back there. And the USC team said, no, no, they're telling us we got to go back. We're going the short way. Uh, what a, I mean, every one of these Pac-12 road games is, has got its own, you know, wacky uh, situations, but uh, it doesn't get any wackier than uh, at the end of the first half in Tempe. That was so silly. Yeah, it was... Uh... It was Pac-12 after dark. It was Pac-12 officials, all, you know, all that stuff, all at once. Um, I, I would say this. The officials, you watched them during the game from that point on, and you got the sense they would huddle up a number of times when, when whatever else was happening was happening, and you got the sense of, is there a way we can erase all the copies of this game so nobody knows we're, here, we're the guys here? I mean, you got that. They got, had that look on their face like, how do we not – because if people ask us this week, which, which game did you do? 
can we tell them we weren't there? It wasn't us. <laughs> uh, you just, they had a look on their face like, man, we're screwed. This is, this is not going to look good on our resumes. Yeah, not, not a resume builder there. Um, Tyler and Sammamish, uh, thoroughly enjoyed the win, but your word disc- uh, discrepancy in your early morning podcast hit the nail on the head. It's a, quote, remember these are 18 to 20-year-olds deal. Uh, uh, he said, oh, is it a remember these are 18 to 20-year-olds deal? Aren't all teams made up of 18 to 20-year-olds? My thoughts go more to coaching. Job one of coaching is have your team ready to play. Again, I love the win. But even with the win, my confidence in the current coaching staff is TBD. That's from Tyler. You know, other than right now, uh, Nick Saban, is there anyone who's not a TBD week to week? I mean, really, you've got a, you've got a couple undefeated teams this year who haven't played anybody. Uh, those people haven't become, you know, the new Nick Saban. Uh, you've got uh, James Franklin, who was canonized on Friday. They took the canonization back on Saturday, I'm understanding. Uh, his last two giant games, Rose Bowl against USC, then the Ohio State game, they've had a tendency to collapse. I mean, they're really, you know, uh, Clemson isn't, isn't there anymore, obviously. Penn State isn't there anymore. Uh, Georgia, they're hanging in there. We'll see. Again, uh, I don't know that there are a lot of coaches right now that you can, you know, uh, Jimbo Fisher at Florida State. I mean, you know, how's that going? And, and, and Brian Kelly, you know, would, everybody would say, you know, they're great here. They really are. They look like Notre Dame. And you think, well, they got rid of half their coaching staff, I think. Uh, uh, and under duress, they basically uh, told you know, Brian Kelly, that this is not acceptable and you better come up with some new guys and, and do it differently, and they are. Uh, but um, uh, other than Nick Saban, I think they're all TV, TBDs uh, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, in the Pac-12, how many people have told us week after week after week, Chris Peterson, Chris Peterson, Chris Peterson, Chris Peterson, and you think he practically got shut out two weeks ago in Tempe. I mean, come on. Uh, with the team that, that hasn't had as many injuries even close as USC. So it's a crazy college football world. Uh, you wouldn't want to be investing a lot of money in a lot of these guys, which a lot of programs have, which is why they're still there uh, because of the, the buyouts are so humongous. But, uh, man, uh, <laughs> TBD is a good word for it. Uh, and, and, and not year to year, week to week, TBD. Yeah, it definitely has been. Uh, let's see, next one, we got John in San Jose. It's, I love the show. Uh, when either of you are on the sidelines or at practice, do you get the feeling that the players treat Clay Helton like that, quote, cool substitute teacher that we all loved in school rather than the head man in charge? Would this be a reason why they came out flat at times or underperformed over the past two years? I remember Stuart Mandel mentioned on his podcast that last week at Notre Dame that the USC players were joking around on the sidelines while getting creamed. One last thing, would Clay Helton and his staff be as successful at another Pac-12 program? Right now they're 7-2, but they could easily be 5-4 in 2017 with the most talented team in the conference. Fight on, John in San Jose. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would think the Notre Dame game is a big example of uh, of a complete failure. They didn't get them ready for that game. Uh, they knew Notre Dame was going to come out and punch them in the mouth. They knew Notre Dame had a bye. Uh, you know, I'm a big guy. I, For example, all I'm doing is covering the game. And I usually feel like I need to go stop by South Bend on Friday to just get a sense of the vibe of the place. And how are they ready for this game? Because it is that one, one of a kind intersectional rivalry that goes back to, you know, the mid 1920s. And it really, really matters. And it has a historical context. And so I think I've got to go over there. USC managers went over there, but here's the USC team sitting in the you know, some casino in uh, Michigan City, Indiana, 35 miles away, all day Friday they, they had a, a walkthrough, and then, you know, till kickoff at 7.30 or whatever it was uh, Saturday night. And uh, I just think it was really worthwhile when USC would go, go to places like that and you'd have Anthony Munoz waiting for the team on Friday or the Notre Dame students rocking the bus when they came in. And that really had a tendency to focus those players, uh, especially when it was really a big game in South Bend. They, they, even if they didn't realize what a big game it is, uh, once they got, off, got there on the bus, it was, man, okay, this, okay, maybe I didn't get this. Okay. But we understand some of the players were shocked when they got there Saturday night what a big deal this was. I mean, first of all, you got to understand <clears throat> there are often maybe 75,000 people in the parking lots and on campus who don't have tickets. They're just there for the party, for the tailgating. It's a really, really big deal. Uh, it's the last, usually last good weekend of the weather in Northern Indiana. And, uh, they show up and it really matters. And it really mattered to Notre Dame after what happened to them against USC the last two out of the last three years in uh, in L.A. And uh, they had to have that game. And you would have liked the USC's kids to really understand what a big deal that game was. And I guess Brian Kelly spent a lot of the time in the two weeks building up to it, going over the history of the game, the history of, of all the things that have happened in the USC-Notre Dame game and all the coaches and players that have been involved. And uh, that was a big theme. I'm not sure USC picked up on that quite enough. Uh, and, and I think the, more of that kind of thing has to be done. Uh, the talk about is Clay the cool substitute teacher who's their friend uh, or the, uh, you know, the headmaster that they're all afraid of. I think at times he can be the, the headmaster, but maybe not all the time. And you know, you don't want him to, you know, carry a, you know, brass knuckles in his, uh, you know, in his uh, coaching shorts. But uh, uh, you do want him. Yeah, there, there was a, a lack of uh, willingness, I think, at the Notre Dame game for the players to uh, take it responsibility. It was almost like, and and the week after, it was kind of a pass the buck situation. Like it was really responsible. Uh, that they got it together uh, in, at Arizona State is great. But you really would like it to, to be one of those situations where, where they're all responsible. And uh, I don't know that you had enough of the seniors really confronting guys 
and at times yes but these guys aren't real vocal these uh you know, the older guys and uh i think you need a combination of, of clay and the older guys and you got to coach them up you really got to coach them up you got to coach them hard you got to coach them real hard this is really hard to do uh having a great competitive national program uh in the running for the college football playoffs is is awfully hard and there are very few people that do it really really well and at usc you have to have somebody who does that really really well it's one of the programs that you know year after year you have to be thinking how do we get into the playoffs how do we get how do we win the, the, the pac-12 and, and the pac-12 you got to think we're better than everybody in this league we have better tradition uh you know better place to recruit from better school and in, in a lot of ways you know you're not as specifically limited let's say as a stanford uh but uh Yes, he's got so much going for it that I think the the head coach might have to be a tad uh, more pushy. Uh, again, I don't think Nick Saban works here, but um, but T. Carroll did, and I think you need a kind of a one of a kind. It's a different place, and it's a different approach to having a national football program that uh, is competitive every year. But uh, but again, you know, Clay's a young head coach, and he's figuring it out, figuring it out, uh, what works best with his staff, what works best with his players. Some weeks it doesn't work. Some weeks it does. Um, one hopes that you pick up the right things from the weeks that it works and are able to incorporate those in a permanent approach to this is how we do things. Uh, but we say it a lot. It's a work in progress. Uh, but um, you, you know you got to keep progressing, and uh, and that's the key. But you know, good question. Yeah, uh, we'll keep rolling through. We got a whole bunch. Uh, Nick from Cypress, is this the true definition of a balance? This game versus ASU. Uh, the question is, how do we do that against Arizona next week for the de facto Pac-12 South title? Well, I think. You know, I think there are games when USC probably has to go in thinking, uh, go back to the uh, uh, Penn State game and think, okay, we may need to score a lot of points. That Trace McSorley, Saquon Barkley, uh, the receiver whose name for, you know I forget, and the tight end and all, they got a lot of weapons that can hurt us. We got to score a lot of points. I think that's how you had to go into uh, the Washington State game just because it was that Friday night and they were five straight home games and they were sitting there waiting and they were all fired up and thinking they were really good. They unfortunately for Washington State found out exactly how good they are since then. But uh, that was a game USC probably needed the offense to come out and play like USC. They didn't come out at all and play like anything. Uh, the same thing with Notre Dame. I think you go in there and knowing they got a pretty good offensive line. They got some good running backs. They they know what they're doing. They're going to do it well. USC's banged up. Uh, we've got to outscore Notre Dame. You had to come out and play well offensively. Notre Dame pretty much gave them the pass game uh, and just tried to shut it. Tried to give them enough bad plays so that they had to make uh, perfect uh, run perfect third down and longs and that kind of thing. But but a lot of that was USC putting itself into 
into those situations by uh, running some really uninspired, uh, you know, run plays, and then uh, and having to throw the ball. The difference uh, with the Arizona State game was they did not do that. They didn't put themselves into bad places offensively. They came out throwing. They backed Arizona State off right away. They made Arizona State really aware of uh, we're going to take advantage of you uh, down the field. And they had guys that kept making plays, uh, catching the ball. And that's what USC football has been about in the last few years when they're good. And um, so it was a combination, I think, of a lot of things. But, uh, uh, you know, game plan and attitude, I think, were there completely for Arizona State, and they were missing completely uh, for Notre Dame. Yeah, they were. Um, Jason Longhorn Country, speaking of catching the ball, is it me or does Tyler Vaughn remind you of a young Dwayne Jarrett with the cutting ability of Justin Davis? He might have better hands than Dwayne uh, Jarrett had. Um, he, yeah, he's, uh, yes, his uh, cutting ability. Uh, he, he, oh, what can I think of uh, uh, the kid's name uh, who came, uh, the Arkansas transfer, Ryan, help me out. Oh, Damian uh, Williams? Yeah, I think... I think he reminds me more of him than anybody. Uh, he's just smooth as can be. Uh, great body control. And, uh, I mean, to hold on to that ball after he got busted in the head, the touchdown, that's amazing. I mean, I, I just think what he did there was uh, was just terrific. I mean, he, I, I think he could – he said after the game he saw the hit coming, and I think he's got enough of that – athleticism that natural right reaction that he relaxed and didn't you know stiffen up and didn't make the hit worse uh and and kind of absorbed the blow uh but uh just he does some some terrific things uh naturally that uh as as ryan has been saying since the first day we saw him in in uh, in july in practice I and mean, he just that's that's where he's been all year. He made a, He'll make a great catch every single practice. Just every single practice. It's pretty amazing to watch him. But he's uh, he's pretty gifted. Yeah, I have some guys on Twitter like, you know, you're wrong on this. He just had to wait his turn and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what the heck are you talking about? They're like, well, you know, there was guys with seniority over him. So I'm like, so if someone has seniority, they should play? <laughs> As opposed to someone that's better? Um, yeah. But he wasn't <laughs> just a little better. He's spectacular. He does. He makes spectacular catches. Yeah. He makes those catches that that I mean. And now I think we're finding out after watching Juju in the NFL as a rookie. Maybe it took that to realize how good Juju can be, uh, and how athletic he can be, and how gifted he was, and how much he's missed. I mean, just think if Juju were still playing at USC this year. Uh, uh, but but in Tyler, you had a guy who could do some of those special things and make those special plays. And I think USC needs those guys on the field. They just If you can do that, you're on the field. Yeah. I mean, it's that simple. And you play. And if there are other things in terms of maturity and, 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 and knowing everything that you have to know and all that, you get him up to speed. But you get him on the field. Just yeah. get him on the field. Exactly. Uh, it took USC a while. He didn't start till game five, which is just baffling. Um, Eric and Duck Country, USC always seems to have trouble against mobile quarterbacks. Will they be able to hold up against Arizona? And uh, we also had, like, Tarek say, what's the best way to slow down 
uh, Khalil Tate. So a lot of a lot of Khalil Tate stuff here. Well, I mean, I I think because they don't see that many of them, uh, you know, the the where the where the mobile quarterback becomes the primary offensive weapon uh, for somebody. It isn't easy uh, in this day and age when there aren't many people running the option with a real option quarterback. Uh, so, you know, you, you, you always have to have somebody responsible for the quarterback. You don't want a situation where, well, I want you responsible for the quarterback, but if he pitches it, I want you over here too. And then you have those guys in there in no man's land. They're like got one arm out toward the quarterback and one arm out. No, you can't do that. You got to coach it up right in terms of, of the responsibilities and you got to have everything covered and, and then you got to tackle well and you can't reach. Uh, you see some of these highlight plays from him and you see four or five guys like reaching and you think, what were they thinking? They had no chance. You can't reach and touch him on the hip pad or something and think that's like going to affect him at all. I mean, it's not. And, and you see so many people with bad angles or they're coming in from the side and you realize they're not going to get there in time. You've got to keep leverage on him. And you, you've got to, you know, really contact him. You can't just, uh, and you can't be up high because uh, he's got enough power to go with that speed. Uh, but uh, this is another game where you might go in and say, okay, maybe we need, let's just plan on scoring 50. And I don't think they can beat us if we score 50. And that's one of the ways I would approach a game with Arizona is you go in and say, we got to go, we're going to figure on how do we, put, how do we score 50. Play tempo, <clears throat> score every time you get it, uh, no three and outs, uh, no punts, and let your offense win this game for your defense. And then, get, you know, stay on the field, score the ball, and then let your defense go out there and then do it the next time and the next time. And, and that's, that's kind of how I would, uh, would approach uh, Arizona. Yeah, agree with that one. Uh, ben from the Central Valley, he said, okay, so I watch a satisfying game like this and think, hey, a Pac-12 championship seems very possible. But as inconsistent as we've been, I'm just getting my, am I just getting my hopes up too soon? I tried not to get too down after last week's quote-unquote game, but do you want to – but do not want to get too excited after this win. Am I correct in saying that no one should know what to expect from our guys? Thanks for all you guys do, and let's hope for a bear beatdown. Fight on, and go Dodgers from Ben. Yeah, Ben, uh, uh, after the Notre Dame game, I refrained from, from picking any way the Arizona State game, even though I wasn't displeased with, with uh, practice uh, last week. Uh, again, I'm not crazy about the uh, no pads uh, November starting in October and Tuesday uh, but uh, we'll give them that 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 they got their I think they got their heads right first and their hearts right and then everything else came with it the game plan did not set them back uh, the game plan on both offense and defense seemed to, to do the job <clears throat> and special teams I thought the coverage was as good as it's been all year. I thought they really covered everything well. 48-yard uh, average uh, net punting, uh, they were right there on those things. Uh, kickoff coverage was, was good and, and, and well-planned. Uh, the 
51-yard field goal, so you got to give uh, you know Chase McGrath. Uh, you know, that's great. Uh, so there were a lot of good things that you know that came out of last week. The other thing was they knew how important that was. I, I fault them for not knowing how important the Notre Dame game was, but I'll give them credit. They knew how important the uh, Arizona State game was, and they showed up like they knew how important it was. You didn't see the dumb. Uh, you know, grabs. You you saw a game where Arizona State was a team committing all the dumb penalties. How how good is that for USC to go out there with their heads on straight and and not do uh, the dumb the dumb penalty kind of thing? And 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 then give them credit, they didn't let the the craziness on the the Mary at the half uh, throw them off at all. Uh, that's a a team that that looked really well grounded in terms of who they are and what they were going to do and. Uh, Nothing was gonna was gonna bother them. So, uh, but uh, but I in college football and in the Pac-12, man, it's a week to week thing. Uh, they, what was that? The second time they beat the spread, I guess, Ryan. Yeah, it was uh, all year. <laughs> Just second the second time. time. So you know, uh, I, I would you wouldn't want to get your hopes up. To, I mean, let's say they're fourteen and zero at the Coliseum under Clay. So. It wouldn't be wrong to say you got your hopes up, and you, you have a an Arizona team that the USC offense should have some success against. Uh, so at this point, now it's uh, it's all about containing uh, Khalil Tate, and they do have another kid that can run like crazy too. So uh, they've really got to uh, got to do everything right on defense, and uh, and, and they'll be fine. But uh, you know, the, the, we've seen games where they haven't come in like that. One hopes that they only take the good things out of the Arizona State win. They don't take anything that says, boy, are we really good now. Uh, you want them to say, well, we were good last week, but we'll see about this week. This week will be determined by us this week. Last week is completely irrelevant to this week. Uh, sure, you can you know, take Take the good stuff out of it, but uh, but you can't rest on it even a little bit. So, uh, but you know things are falling in place. They've got to. I mean, let's face it. They ought to win the Pac-12. They got yeah. the best team. They got the best players. Yeah. Got the most you know history and tradition. You know. They easily could, or they could lose two of the next three, and then who knows what goes on? You know, we yeah. just don't know. <laughs> um. Yeah. We're over the hour mark, but we still got a bunch more. I'll just try to go through them quick. Uh, Mark, he said, ask Shotgun. So he wants Dan, you to ask Shotgun how many blocks Nico Fala missed tonight and how many bad snaps. He has over 10 misses and four bad snaps. I haven't rewatched it yet, but I don't know if you noticed any of that, Dan. Yeah. Uh, it didn't seem to be a great night, uh, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't always, one of the things you don't always know, and this is where I get, I get a little hesitant, because you do not know exactly the blocking scheme, and you don't know exactly what the play was, so who was responsible for what. So there are times when it can happen that, that you, you look at the play and you assume this, you know, this guy missed this block, and then you find out later, well, no, they were, you know, this is what they were doing, or he was taking this guy, and uh, you know they were pulling, or whatever. So, I I tend to, I mean, you can you can grade the snaps, that's for sure. But uh, 
But as far as all the blocks, until you know, every, you know all the assignments, uh, that that that's a little, probably a, a little tricky uh, to start doing that. So I, I tend to. That's another area where I tend to not be as judgmental at times. We had uh, Scott in San Diego. Uh, well, Persecutor, I feel bad. Um, he wrote in a couple of times. They were more like message board posts, like multiple, multiple paragraphs. Persecutor, we love you. Just can't read all that on the Peristyle, try, I mean, on the podcast. Try to keep them short so we can read it and, and start discussing what you want to talk about. Uh, Scott in San Diego says, hey, Peristyle podcast crew, this is a text message. Question for Dan. Uh, when do you think the Pac-12 will acknowledge that their officials are the worst in the country? The officiating during the ASU game has been atrocious. The Hail Mary made no sense to me. We talked about that already, but overall, if you want to talk about the officiating, Dan. Well, they try. I mean, I heard Clay today at the uh, Monday morning quarterback saying, you know, that David Coleman, who I've liked a lot, that they hired full-time as the vice president for, you know, officiating, uh, a, a former, I guess he was a colonel, retired colonel and an NFL official, and a good guy. And I've sat next to him at, at USC games in the press box, and uh, and he's great to talk to. I just don't know what the limitations are that uh, you still have these these plays, these games where you just say what? I mean, I, I did I did spend some time in the SEC and in the Big Ten. I actually went to officials meetings in the Big Ten where they would show the film from the previous week. I got to know the. Uh, head of the uh, officials in the Big Ten, and uh, I just got a different feeling about competence in the Big Ten and the SEC. You just had a feeling. Now, agree with them or not, that referee at the Kentucky-Tennessee game last week, he said, I'm giving an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty to everybody on both teams because of the brawl. and Whoever gets the next one is out. Well, I mean, whether you agree or not, that guy was in charge of the game, and he knew it. And I don't see that level of somebody who's really in charge in the Pac-12. I mean, the history of the Pac-12 is you have, like, the glasses ref, you know, who everybody, oh, my gosh, no, we got the glasses ref tonight. Now, he's retired. But that was kind of the tradition in the Pac-12. I don't know why uh, it's happened that way. But I do see people that just don't look confident, comfortable, or competent. And that's not a good thing. And, you know, and unfortunately, the, uh, the officials, the good ones that come along, uh, very often get snapped up by the NFL. Uh, and, and there has been a, you would hear this, that, uh, all of the other uh, leagues in the West, uh, Mountain State, uh, Mountain West, excuse me, and the uh, uh, the WAC and other uh, conferences would say that uh, they just didn't uh, bring any new blood into the Pac-12 for a long time. Uh, that they just that you know, and all these big conferences, everybody says that's political, it's who you know, and all that kind of thing. But that that they didn't replace enough of those guys or they didn't bring in enough uh, of the really good officials from other conferences uh, when other other conferences were doing that but uh, yeah it's um, you know it might be marginally better but 
marginally better isn't probably good enough uh, for where the Pac-12 has been for a long time. We got one last one. Uh, we'll let you go, Dan. Bill said, so he wrote this before the ASU game. He said, it looks like USC will be extremely deficient on the defensive line again. The offense will need to carry the team. I hope they were up to the task. I respect both your opinions and history covering the program. It sounds like both of you think a 10-2 season would be a poor record for USC. Uh, I don't think so, but uh, not sure I understand why. This team is what it is. It's not what the preseason hype machine wanted it to be with all of its shortcomings. It's still a good, not great football team. After watching the program for 43 years, I can say I'm proud of these Trojans. Fight on. And thanks for the great job you do for all USC fans and alumni from Bill. Yeah, a 10-2 won't be bad. I mean, I think the – and we know that all five teams in the Pac-12 in the last two years that have had to play back-to-back road games with the second one, the short week Friday, have lost, including three favorites. I don't care. They should not have lost the Washington State game. They weren't prepared. They weren't uh, ready physically, mentally. Uh, the game plan was awful, both both sides of the ball. That was, a, as we've now seen, that was pretty much of a, dis- a disgrace considering where we've seen Washington State go when people really come after them. Uh, the Cal game the next week was, was, was a perfect example of, of a Cal team with a lot less talent than USC has just went after them with everything they had and, and ran them off the field. Uh, now, uh, so... So I think, and, and the Notre Dame beatdown was ridiculous. There's just no way that, uh, not saying they had to win that game, knowing how Notre Dame was going to come in, but they should have made it where they had a chance. And they did have a chance until they stopped themselves and gave away 21 points to start. Okay, so those two, those shouldn't have happened. 11-1 uh, and one is, is maybe what this, this team probably had a real shot to be this year and that puts you in the Pac-12 championship game unbeaten and looking at the way everybody in the north is uh, performing recently uh, you have a chance to be 12-1 and one, and you're in the darn playoffs now whether that's good enough if you get Alabama in the first game maybe not but, uh, but so there's kind of a disappointment even if they end, ten, end up 10-2 and two in the regular season I think a little bit uh, of, of not quite being where they could have been. And, and, and that should disappoint point, uh, not only them, but us. Uh, I, don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, I think they had that shot. Now, Ryan did not have maybe the same you know, sense of, of going into the season as I did, but, uh, but, but that would be me, and, and Ryan might, might say he's 10-2 he, you know, probably be better or at least as good as he thought they could be. No, I, I thought they could be better for sure. You're right. But I think when you look at the grand picture, the grand scheme of things, um, yeah, when people are like, well, oh, this team still controls its own destiny. And there, there's kind of a – it's a hollow message sometimes because we know the team hasn't been playing well. But if they beat Arizona State and Arizona in back-to-back weeks, um, Colorado doesn't look very good, although they, they, they bounce back and they look better this past game. And then, you know, who knows about UCLA. But if you win out and you win the South – and the important thing to me is winning the Pac-12. And I think some people discount that. I think it's really important to win the Pac-12. If they do that and they go to a, you know, the Fiesta Bowl or something, you look back and say, okay, they started off terrible and won nine in a row, won the Rose Bowl. They got blown out by a rival. They lost a game on the road they shouldn't have, but they won the rest. And 
uh, went to uh, Fiesta Bowl, and who knows that maybe they beat a good team in that. And you look back and say, okay, those those are you know, overall they're still pretty good seasons. Now they, they screwed up themselves. You know, they could have had a, a lot better season, but I think in the grand scheme of things, if you're a fan, people felt really good about the Rose Bowl win. You know, they forgot about the one and three start. And if they you know go on a run, they'll forget about the Notre Dame game. And, you know, maybe get a win in the Fiesta Bowl. So there's still a lot, I think, that can be played for. I think you, fans should be happy with, you know, if you make that kind of a bowl and that kind of run. But, you know, it hasn't happened yet. It's going to be a tough one this weekend. Just just getting through Arizona is going to be tough enough. Yeah, and, and, and I think a big part of it is is getting better. Are you getting better? And everybody had the sense last year that they, you know, kind of hit rock bottom and they got better. And they kept, you know... <clears throat> doing whatever they had to do to uh, to keep getting there. Uh, Arizona State, they got better. They got a lot better uh, from the week before. And if they can do that, that's not up and down and up and down, but if they can you know, keep progressing, uh, who knows? Uh, would they possibly, could the bottom drop out on a number of teams, enough teams around the country uh, that they could even be remotely in consideration again? Probably not. There's, there are so many teams, uh, Miamis and Wisconsins and people like that, who just haven't played anybody even remotely with, you know, with a heartbeat, uh, that, that the bottom might not be able to drop out far enough from those teams. Uh, but uh, but I, 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 you would love it if, uh, you know, say USC could maybe uh, get in a ball where they would get, you know, uh, say, a Wisconsin team that only lost in the championship game to Ohio State or whatever. Uh, and uh, and get a chance to to finish up against somebody like that, uh, you know, a one loss team in a really good bowl, and, uh, and and perform well. I think everybody would be pretty excited about that. But uh, but they got to get you know just keep getting better so that there's progress week to week that you don't have those big drop back uh, moments. And uh, if if they do that. Uh, you know, the Arizona, Colorado, UCLA finish is, is a great way to go. And they'll remember if, uh, if they're better by the time they get to UCLA and, uh, and, and make a statement in that game. People will be pretty, pretty pleased with that. And then uh, we'll see. It's a shame. You can't go back to the Rose Bowl unless you get to the playoffs. And, and that's, that's kind of the shame, I think, knowing that this season's set up for a very likely even a classic Rose Bowl with a Big Ten uh, and USC game if, uh, if they both got there uh, in the Rose Bowl, that was uh, something that I think they had a legitimate shot at, at aiming for. And if they miss that, that'll still be kind of a disappointment. But, uh, but they can still make this a, a season that everybody's pretty, uh, pretty pleased with, yeah. uh, considering the injuries. Yeah, they were pretty. They were pretty pleased last season. It started off dreadfully, and they can they can be pretty pleased this season too. Just depends how these last few games go. All right. Well, Dan, great stuff. Um, look forward to seeing you out there at practice tomorrow. We'll get a get a feel for what it's like. It didn't look like they did anything different last week in practice, and lo and behold, they come out and play completely different. So who knows what to expect this week? Well, the game plan. I think the game plan being different changed everything. I thought it was very smart. Both both sides of the ball. I thought they were really smart. They did not shoot themselves in the foot. Now, I know Clay said, well, he thought they'd been shooting themselves in the foot with turnovers and penalties. <laughs> I, I would add a uh, bad game plan uh, to those two things. And this week was good game plan week. 
All right. Good game plan week. We'll see if they keep that going against Khalil Tate, Rich Rod, and the Arizona Wildcats. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Uh, thanks so much to our sponsors, uh, ZipRecruiter, and, of course, Trader Joe's. We appreciate all of you tuning in and talking, sending in your questions, sending in your comments, asking about this football team. We enjoy answering them all and talking about this team as well. So we'll uh, we'll let you go for this week. We'll probably do another show, a preview show with Arizona, and uh, maybe a recruiting one. We'll see what how, how it all goes down. But we've this is our third podcast. It's only Monday, so uh, but we'll make sure we get one or two more for you uh, later on the week. So that's Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique interesting and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.